take your Bible to the book of Nehemiah with me. I'm not sure this is about the eighth or ninth message in this chapter. Nehemiah chapter 9, but we'll finish it tonight by the grace of God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, we've arrived at verse number 32, and if you followed us on this journey through this chapter, you just, you know, the Bible is just an incredible book, and as they have been recounting through this chapter the history of Israel, and they, they looked back at their past all the way from really when God made heaven and all things, when he created all things from verse 6 and then through Abram and the deliverance with Moses and into the wilderness and then into the promised land and the recounting of all things that God had did and yet how they, as the children of Israel in their history, had failed and come short and had received the judgment of God many times. As they look through that history and in the prism of where they're living, and I would say that's a good thing to do. You really can't understand many things about your present if you can't understand the past. Because the truth is, so many things that happen in the present are repeated things from the past. And if we could learn those lessons of the past, we don't have to repeat the same process of failure that happened back there. And Nehemiah here, and as these people begin to pray, the conversation turns in verse 32. From all that has occurred in the past, all the failures of the children of Israel in the past, all the reason why they are where they are in this predicament in life in Jerusalem as a small remnant. Now they turn to God and they start talking about themselves. Lord, you knew all about that with Moses. You knew all about that failure to listen to your commandments. You knew all about that calf business. And you understood all about those judges and how they, 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 they lived wicked lives and then they repented and you went back. and You know all about our history, but Lord, we want to talk to you about where we are right now. Aren't you glad that God just, just does not understand the past? He is interested in your present. And that's what's going on right here. And it changes in the chapter. Verse number 32. Now therefore, therefore, because of all this. Now therefore, our God, the great. Boy, that's a good title for him. Just the great. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty. The terrible God. Why would somebody call God terrible? Well, that's, people don't understand the word terrible. It's not like the bad dish your wife made. It's not what terrible is. That's terrible. Or you made. <laughs> is that better? Or the restaurant made. Or that you ate at homecoming. (laughs) Wasn't me terrible of those, but there may have been one or so. But But that's how we look at the word terrible. Just, ooh. ah. But that's not really what the word means. It comes from the word terror, you know. The old dictionary said that, says in 1828 dictionary, it says that terrible means adapted to impress dread or terror or solemn awe and reverence. You know, God's great, God's mighty. He's also terrible. There are people that ought to be terrified of God. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm there at the end of verse 31. To me, God 
is a gracious and a merciful God. But if you reject him and you don't know him, he's going to be a terrible God. It's just however you want to approach him. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and the terrible God who keepeth covenant and mercy. Let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us. On our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people. Since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day, howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom. And in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day. And for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle. At their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write and write it in our princes. Levites and priests, seal unto it. I want to preach to you tonight the reason for committing to God. First, in verse 32, the Bible says, "Therefore, Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that has come upon us. The first thing I see in this text, they say to God, God, you're a great God. You're a big God. You're a mighty God. But God, don't let our trouble seem little to you. Boy, what a way to pray. Do you know God is probably too great and too mighty to have to trouble with my little trouble? You know, they could have prayed a different way. They did say in the last verse, we're, we're in great distress. That doesn't sound like little to me, does it to you? But this is what we often do. Instead of seeing a great God and a little trouble, we see great trouble and a little God. You see the difference? And what they are acknowledging as rough as it is, as hard as it is to live under a king. You know, the world doesn't really understand that. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm sure she was a dear old lady, but, but nobody was afraid of Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> she didn't have any power over anybody's body or lands or cattle. They went through the formalities. If you want to see a modern-day king, you, you'd have to go to North Korea. <laughs> you'd have to go to China. Or Russia. And they're trying to run as fast as they can to get away from people like that. Because he has complete and total control. And here kings, heathen kings, have been in charge of the nation of Israel since their captivity. And the days of Nehemiah that we're reading of, they're in great distress. A king would change, another king, how, what's he going to do? Whatever he wants to do. 
And they say, we're in great distress. And God, we know you're great. You're so mighty. You keep covenant and mercy. You are a wonderful God. And we know you've got big things you're attending to in the halls of eternity. And you've got the whole world to look at. But when you look at this little spot of dirt here down in Jerusalem and this little remnant, would you please not consider our trouble to be so little? Oh, what a way to pray. Instead of, they could have prayed like sometimes we pray. Oh God, it's so hard. It's so big. It's so terrible. I just can't take it anymore. It's just, it's undeserved. It's unbearable. Be careful about what you say you can't bear. You know why? Because he knows what you can bear. It's unfair. It's just, it's just, it's so bad. You're telling that to a God that really does know how bad and how bad it can be. Wouldn't it be better to say, Lord, I know you're a great God and you look at all the billions of people in the world and I'm sure you see a lot worse things than what's going on in my little life. But please God, when you look down here, you're so big, you're so great. And and I know you've got other things to do, but when, when you look down here and you see my trouble, don't let it be so small to you. Do you see how humble that prayer is? Do you see how that can get the attention of God? Sometimes I wonder how God views our prayers. I know He's interested in us. I know He is. He loves us. I understand that. I preached on that this morning. But can you imagine sometimes when we bring our troubles to God and we talk to Him about how big they are, and this is the same God that's looking down from the third heaven watching four-year-old girls getting raped in Ukraine. Four years old. And I'm telling God how big my trouble is. Can can we put that in perspective a little bit? God, this is just so big. Maybe maybe we should say, God, you're so big. And and I, I know you're watching over everything else, but as you look down here, don't don't let my trouble be so small to you in your eyes. Sort of reminds me of the way. Abraham prayed. You know, Abraham was a friend of God. He talked to God like people don't get to talk to God. But when he talked to God, you know how he he would talk to God? He was talking to him about Sodom and Gomorrah because he didn't want all the people to die down there. Though they were wicked. He didn't want all the people to die in Sodom and Gomorrah. Even though they were wicked. Why? Why? Because there was somebody down there he cared about. You know how he talked to God about that? Lord, I take it upon me to speak to thee who am but dust and ashes. In other words, Lord, I I don't really have a... Now, this is God's friend. Lord, I, I really don't have a right to ask you this. And I'm just dust and ashes, but... Can I ask you something? I think it would be far from you, God. You're just such a, you're such a great God. I think it would be far from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. I'm just thinking we don't pray like that. And then he goes on in his conversations. He prayed. And he, he, he says, uh, he said, Lord, I just take it upon me to, to ask you one more request. <laughs> You see how tenderly he approaches the Lord? He doesn't reproach God in a demanding way. Guys, we are so stinking entitled, we don't even know how to pray. God, I don't deserve this. God, this is not right. Do something, Lord. He's got a lot to do up there. But he is interested. But why don't you approach him in the way so many people did? You know, Job, or the Bible says in Psalms about a good prayer that y'all pray. Lord, just remember my frame. I'm, I'm just dust and ashes. I'm, 
But please, when you look down here at this dirt ball, just don't let my trouble seem so small to you. Oh, what a good way to pray. Because the fact is that he was interested in their trouble, wasn't he? He was interested in what was going on down there in Jerusalem. And he is interested in you. But you know, we ought to approach him the right way about it. He's interested if he cares and understands and takes notice of a sparrow that falls. He says, you know, you're more value than many sparrows. <laughs> I don't know how many more. But he said, you're, you're of greater value than many sparrows. I don't care nothing about a sparrow, but God does. I don't care anything about the grass as long as it gets mowed. But what what did he say about the grass? He closed the grass of the field. He cares how the lawn looks in his world. He dots the the scenery with flowers. Why does he do that? Because he, he cares about his creation. He closed the grass of the field. Certainly he's interested in clothing you. Certainly he's interested in your problem. I mean, he said, he said there in the book, Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. What a wild thing. I preached on that, but I can't ever get my head around that. You talk about a little thing, brother. I'm not talking about you, about you that don't have any. <laughs> a little thing. <laughs> he, he numbers the hair on your head. Now you, now you men, you care about that. You, you care about the number of hairs on your head. But you ladies, my soul. I usually have enough hair in my sink or in my... Who cares? There's so much there. He didn't say he's just numbering the hairs on the guy's head. Let me ask you a question. If the number of hair on your head... God's interested in that. What do you think he's not interested in about you? And he's a great God. He's, he's keeping the planets together. He's keeping the sun in its place and causing it to shine. He's, causing, he's making sure that global warming never occurs. He's making sure we always have plenty of animals to eat. Amen. He always makes sure we have plenty of fresh water when the majority of the planet is salt water. He keeps all that together and he sits there. He's interested in the number of hairs on this. His mom and daddy don't care how many hairs on his head. You say, well, if he cares, yeah, he, he cares that much. But why don't we just be careful how we approach him? God, why? Nothing's too little. Probably one of the worst days of my, maybe the worst. That's a big statement to say. Of my life was last Sunday night. I knew I had surgery at six. I said, well, you know, anybody can grit it, grit it out and make it till six. You can pop enough pills to get you to six. No. Oh, God. Finally, at, at midnight, knowing I'm having surgery at six, midnight I called my son. I said, you're going to have to come get me. Or I told Cindy, so you're going to have to call me. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't. She said, what can I do for you? I said, outside of a gun, I don't know. I'm serious. Benjamin came over, took me to the hospital. I'm sitting there, oh God. And I'm thinking, when I get to the emergency room, I know what's going going to happen. I'm going to sit there and wait again. Maybe until six. (laughs) But I'm thinking, at least maybe somebody in there will have mercy on me and shoot me with something. praying, God, 
I'm just a sinner, but could I please have just a little bit of relief? Just a little bit of relief. And about that time, we were about to turn in the hospital. I told my son, I'm still hurting, but boy, I feel a lot better. And it was a good thing because they weren't going to help me in the emergency room. So I turned around and told him to take me back home. <laughs> Amen. He cares about all the little things. Yeah. Then after the surgery, I'm sitting there Monday, and Cindy said, Surgeon said, if you can't go to the bathroom by four, you're going back to the hospital. Now, that may sound like little trouble. That's big trouble to me. Amen. So I'm going to the bathroom. I said, God. I take it upon me to ask you. Could you just help me a little right here? Don't let my trouble seem little to you, Lord. You're a big God. You, aren't you glad you got a God you can talk to like that? Amen. And that's what they're doing here in, in this, this remnant's doing with all this distress. Lord, just don't let the trouble seem little to you. Learn to pray that way. Instead of telling Him how big it is. Instead of telling him how awful it is, instead of being consumed with how insurmountable the problem, look, look how great and mighty your God is, and just ask that big God just to look down on you and not consider your trouble to be so small. That's the first thing I see here. The second thing I see is in verse number 33. He says, How be it as they pray? They say, how be it? Thou art just in all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. The first thing they acknowledge is, God, you're a great God, but can you look on our little trouble? The second thing they say, God, you did right. God, you did right, but we have done wickedly. I tell you what, if that phrase cannot be spoken from your mouth all the days of your life, then you're backslidden and a sure sign that somebody's getting right with God. They say, God, you're right. I'm not, but you are. And a sure sign that somebody can't get the help of God. They're always telling God how right they are and telling everybody else how right they are and how unjust it is and how unfair it is. And maybe even blaming God that He's not right. That's the condition of our world. That's con- the condition of backslidden people. God, it's your fault. You'd been a better God. This wouldn't have happened to us. If my, my life would look a lot better, Lord, if, you, if you'd been on the watch. Not the attitude of these people. You want to get help from God, you better pray like these people. Lord, you've done right all the days of my life. You've never done me wrong. You've never given me the shaft, God. I've given you the shaft over and over again, but you've never done that to me. You've done right. And I have no complaints about how you've dealt with me. We've done wickedly. 34 says... Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. We didn't do what we were told. Guys, how much of our distress comes about because we don't do what we're told? Who could stand up and testify that you've done everything God's told you to do? Well, don't, don't complain about it being so bad. Can I hear an amen? amen? It's true whether you amen it or not. Until we've done all those things which we've commanded, and even if we have, we're unprofitable servants, he said. 
But if we've done all, if you've done everything God's told you to do and you've got the shaft, you stand up and let us know about it. No, we've not done everything we've been told to do. Verse 35. For they have not served thee in their kingdom. And in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them. He said, you know what? Not only, not only have they not, have we not listened to you, we've not served you. You gave us a great land. You gave us a great kingdom. You gave us great things. But when we got all this great goodness that you provided, we didn't even serve you. Has your whole life been about serving God? You know what? It, I noticed a little phrase there. It says in verse 35, would you look at it again? For they have not served thee in their kingdom. This is mine. You know what they were supposed to do in the kingdom? They were supposed to serve God because he gave it to them. Do you know why God is so good to us? He's so good to us. He's been such a blessing to American Christianity, amen, so that we could have the freedom to serve Him. And all those people that came over on the boat, amen, that started were praying, oh God, just give us the freedom that we can worship You from our conscience and serve You and live for You. But if you get all that great goodness and you're not serving Him, what point is it? Might as well have great distress. They pray, they said, you know, Lord, you've done right. We've done wickedly. We, we didn't listen to you. Didn't do what you said. And we didn't even serve you. Even most saved people, when we live our lives, it's not a service to God. I, I think everything you do ought to be a service to God. He said, whatsoever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Amen. You go to work tomorrow. How many of you are going to work tomorrow? You ought to do that for God. I said, for God. That would be your... Well, that's not for God. Everything's for God. If you want it to be. But how many of you get up and go to work every day and it ain't nothing about God? How much of our lives isn't anything about trying to give God back something? They're acknowledging we didn't serve you. And then he said in the verse 35, neither turned they from their wicked works. Not only did we not do what you told us to do and we didn't serve you, well, we started doing wicked things and we didn't turn from them. We just kept doing them. You know what's so bad? They did that in, a, in, in, a, in the great goodness that God gave them. You know, you know what's, what I believe really happens so many times? You can even see this in David's life. We backslide so easily when we're so blessed. You know when David was the closest to God? When he was running. When he was running for his life, he was close to God. Tell me, tell me when he started sinning. When he was the great king, when he was the great conqueror, when he had silver and gold, when he had power, when he had all the goodness. You know, it shouldn't be that way. The more, the, the more God's good to us, the more we ought, to, we ought to stay away from the wickedness, but that's not what happens. That's not what happened to America. We are wicked. Be- One of the reasons, it's not, it's not just the prosperity sake, but in our prosperity, we are wicked. So here come, we'll just take all distress. I wonder how many Americans, if, if we do hit the skids, like, you know, probably very possible. If we do hit the skids, I, I wonder how many people go and say, God, you've done right. We've done wickedly. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Was that not Job's attitude? He's sitting there. His life is just destroyed. He didn't do anything wrong. But what an attitude of prayer. His wife says, curse God and die. 
That's his next trial he had. Was his own wife. Curse God and die. You know what he said? He said, shall we not receive evil at the hand of the Lord? Are we just supposed to get good from God all the time? You know what Job knew about himself? He knew he was a sinner. What do sinners deserve? Good things all the time? No, God, you're right. We've done wickedly. And this distress we're in, we're not going to blame you for it. We're not going to be mad at you about it. We're, we're, no, no, we're the guilty party. Wherefore should a... Boy, what a, what a powerful verse. Church, you listening? Book of Lamentations, that's a great book of just tears and crying and weeping over the destruction of life. There's a verse in there that says, Wherefore should a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. You say, well, what have I done? You've sinned. You're a sinner just like me. That's why I can preach to you. I know you're just like I am. We're sinners. So when something bad comes our way, why are we, why, why are we so shocked all of a sudden? You know what Ezra said? God, you have, you have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Whatever I've got going on is less than what I really deserve. Growing up, I may have got a few whippings, amen, that my brother should have gotten, amen. I may have gotten a few things, maybe a little extreme that, that I thought, but I tell you what, growing up, I didn't get half of what I deserved to get. If my mom and dad knew everything that I'd done against God, amen, I shouldn't even be alive. And they still don't know it, thank God. How how much sin do you think you've amassed in your lifetime? Why don't you just stop and say, God, you're right, I'm wicked, that's just the way it is. Wouldn't that be a good attitude to have? That's not the attitude of the world, and that's not the attitude of backslidden people. And you can always tell when a Christian's backslidden because he doesn't acknowledge his sin. He doesn't acknowledge his wickedness. It's everybody else is bad. God's bad, but I'm not the one that's bad. You got enough bad in your best day, amen. The Bible says, hey, at your best state, you're altogether bad at At your best Christian day, you ought to hit the altar. Should I say that again? When you're as close as you ever thought, you've got something to get on your knees about and repent. Because we're sinners. And God's not. Lord, you've done right. We've done wickedly. I see one more thing in our text. Got a great God, a little trouble. You did right. We've done wickedly. Then he says in verse 36, Behold, we are servants this day. And for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings which thou hast set over us because of our sins. Now, now, now he changes. They change what they're saying to God now. They're saying, God, you gave us this land, it's yielding increase, but it goes to that heathen king back there. We're not getting to enjoy all this stuff. They are being prospered because of this great goodness. We, We don't even get to partake of it all. You know what they said? But God, we understand that's because of our sins. Not because of our father's sins. Not because, amen, of the sins in the judges' period. Not because the sins of the kings of Israel when they went into captivity to Assyria. Not because of the kings of Judah uh, because of their sins when they went into captivity uh, to Babylon. Not because of the sins of my forefather that have brought us to this place. And they could say, you know, we didn't do all that. But they said, the reason that all those kings are getting all this increase is because of our sins, not their sins, our sins. And we're in servitude. Notice that verse and I, where I stopped reading. 
It said there in verse number 37, also they have dominion over our bodies. I don't like that phrase. As an American, I don't like that phrase. Guys, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to help all of us, including myself. If Christianity doesn't work in the... If it only works in, in America, it's not real. And Christianity works in places where people have no freedom at all. And God is still right. And God is still good. They have no dominion over their own bodies. They can't even control. They don't have the power to do what they want to do. You know what we'll do? We'll we'll take up arms and I'm with you. I'm ready to go, man. Lock and load. Nobody's going to have dominion over my body. They had dominion over their bodies. You know why? Because of their sins. And not just dominion over their bodies. Look at it. And over our cattle. How would you like if somebody came to your house and just took whatever, the, whatever you got? By the way, that can happen in America. Looks like pretty now, right now, the FBI is feeling their oats about where they can go and where they can't. Oh, this is so terrible. No, here's what they say. At their pleasure. God, we, we are living at the pleasure of these false kings. We're in great distress. They've got dominion over us. But you know what I see in this text? It's amazing. I just drew a line as I was reading the, the, the verses tonight. Verse 36. We are servants this day. End of verse 36. Behold, we are servants in it. They are submitted, subservient to the, king, to the heathen kings of this world that have dominion over their bodies, the dominion over their cattle, the dominion over all their increase. They have control over their wealth or whatever else. But now look, just look up at verse 35. For they have not served thee. You know what God will do to people? He will put them under service to somebody else if they don't want to serve Him. You know that's the history of the nation of Israel. Jesus comes to to this world. He offers Himself. He offers Himself. He's the King of the Jews, is He not? He's the King of the world. He came and do His own. His own said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, we're not interested in you. He tried to reason with them. He tried to preach to them. He tried to touch their lives. He said, I'll make you free. I can make you free. You know what they said? We've never been in bondage to any man. What a foolish statement. The Jewish people have been in bondage since Egypt. They were in bondage in Jesus' day to Rome. They're still in bondage. If the truth be known. And Jesus said, I offer you a kingdom. And they said, we don't want your kingdom. We don't want to serve you, Jesus. You know what they said? We have no king but Caesar. We don't want to serve you. So you know what the Lord did? Okay. You don't want the perfect king? You don't want the perfect kingdom? You don't want to serve him? You don't want to love him? You don't want to... You don't want him to have the dominion over your body? I'll let somebody else have the dominion over your body. You don't want him to have your cattle? You don't want to glorify him with your increase? Well, then I'll just let your increase and the things you have be squandered on some other authority in your life. You've not served me, so you get to serve these others. You know the cry out there in the world, this is my body. It's my body. If I want to board a baby, it's my body. If I want to cut things off, it's my body. Of course, they didn't give us that choice about the vaccine, but you have to say that, so. You have to be fair about it. 
This is my body. No, it ain't. And you're sitting here tonight, if you're saved by the grace of God. You're not your own. God is to have the dominion of your body. But listen to me. If you don't give him the dominion of your body, somebody else will take it. If you don't want to serve God, that's your choice. But you'll serve something else. And I want to show you that to you. Look, look at over there in Chronicles. Would you real quick? I'm, I'm almost finished. Second Chronicles chapter 12. Second Chronicles chapter 12. Won't you see this? How many of you remember Solomon's son that took the kingdom? He took over the richest kingdom Israel ever saw. Just like Americans took over the greatest nation that, that ever lived. Materialistically, militarily. Blessing of God, freedom. Rehoboam inherited all that. What happened? Well... Verse 1, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. 2, came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Verse 4, and he took the fenced cities which pertained to Judah. Verse 6, whereupon the prince of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. Now watch this. This, this is amazing. I ought to get this church. Verse 7, And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimei, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Watch it now. God acknowledges their humility. God gives them some deliverance. Do you see that? They've humbled themselves. They're trying to get right with God. Do you see that? Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, they shall be his servants. Whose? Shishak, the king of Egypt. They shall be his servants. Why? Look at your Bible. That they may know my service. And the service of the kingdom of the country. Here's what God said. Because you don't want to serve me, I'm going to make you serve somebody else. And then maybe when you learn to serve them, maybe you can learn to serve me. Could it be, church, that all these things that God's allowing to come into my life to control me, that are out of my control, that frustrate me, that make me long for, for freedom from it, it, could it be that God allows that to stay into my life, to keep me in line and to teach me something? To teach me how to submit myself to God. Because when I have the freedom, and when I have the blessing, and when I have the position, and when I have the leadership, I don't even know how to appreciate it. You know what I really believe? I believe God does this. I believe God puts a man in servitude to teach him how to lead. The greatest years of my life, the preparatory years of my life, was me being put in servitude. Somebody else had the dominion over my life. Amen. That first church I was in, amen. Go clean the toilet. Yes, sir. Have training union. I hated training union. What independent Baptist has training union? I wanted to look at that old man of God and said, Sir, it's 1990. I just dated myself. 1990, you want to have, tra- you're going to have training union. And you're going to teach it every week. <laughs> yes, sir. Whatever you say. I couldn't stand it, but I did it. I needed to learn. I needed to learn somebody have dominion over me because if I could never learn that, I probably never learned God having dominion over me. That's why it's so dangerous for young people not to learn uh, for, for their parents to be in control of their life. Because then they'll never let God be in control of their life. 
We got saved people that have never learned to turn loose of their life to God because they they have they keep going through the same wilderness for forty years and they keep struggling and they wonder why are things so difficult? God's trying to teach you some service. God's putting you under the dominion of other things so you'll finally acknowledge His dominion in your life. Well, I thought He had dominion in my life. Well. A lot of times that's not the case. God says, I'm going to let you serve all these other kings. Maybe you'll learn how to serve me. I'm going to give you a bad boss, so maybe you'll learn how to serve me. I'm going to give you some bad financial situations, so maybe you'll, maybe you'll acknowledge me with your finances. You know, growing up, cutting my teeth in the ministry, I've told you before, see now, we didn't have nothing, man. We had a table and chairs and a bed. <laughs> and the church people had to donate. I don't even know why my... I don't even know that I... See, I'm not as spiritual as my parents. I don't know that I'd let that happen with my children. Now, anybody listen to me this tonight? But it's the greatest lessons of my life. I say, it's the greatest lessons of my life. Trying to figure out how to make ends meet, how to live. And not complain. Oh God, we how to learn to tithe and put God first when I didn't have nothing. And oh, to learn that lesson when He blesses me with such blessing, how wonderful and easy it is to be able to give back to Him. But when I was in the place, amen, I had to depend on other people bring us meat. And it was hard and rough. And parents and her parents would come up and they'd feel so sorry for us, nothing in the cupboard. They'd go, you know, the ministry is pretty barren in the 90s. <laughs> I'm glad my dad said, didn't say, you know, son, that's, that's not the best job opportunity for you. I didn't care about job opportunities. Amen. I want to do something for God. Amen. And it was rough. And I learned God to be in dominion over my life and other people over my life. That I might learn to let God have the dominion of everything about me. But you know what? I'm not saying that this is overstated. But they're praying about these kings having dominion over them and having dominion over their cattle. But you know what the truth is? God knew all about that. You know what he was systematically doing? He was touching the hearts of those kings. God put them under those kings, but he didn't leave them alone. He touched the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, did he not? He moved Nebuchadnezzar. He touched the heart of Darius, did he not? Who had the dominion over Daniel and the, he had, he touched the heart of those those mighty emperors because he's still in control and just because God's placed you seemingly in a rough situation does not mean he's not still in control see his hand in the shadows in this very book what has happened Yes, they're under the dominion of a heathen king. Yes, he has dominion over their cattle, over their bodies, over the increase of their crop. But you know what he did? He let them go back and he paid for their wall. Because God touched his heart. God's still in control in those areas. Still working behind the scenes. Was he not with Esther? It's not just Ahasuerus, it's also Artaxerxes, all those kings. They're not God, God, we're all here as servants. But we're in this condition to learn to serve you. I don't want it to happen to my country, and I don't know if it will. But if God puts us under, it will probably be to teach us His service. Because we've not done so. I say all this to give you the message. 
What I told you the message was about, I've not even mentioned. Would you look in the text? He said in verse 36, Behold, we are servants this day. And for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof, and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it, and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. Would you please look at verse 38? This is the message. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. The message tonight was this. The reason for committing to God, the reason that I should commit my life to God, myself to God, and everything I have to God, is why? Because I have a great God and little trouble. But I need to make a commitment to that great God in my little trouble. And the reason that I need to make a commitment to God, the reason is because He always does right. And I always seem to do wickedly and I need to make a commitment to Him because He's the right one and I'm the wrong one. And I need to commit my heart to Him. And because my life struggles under the dominion of others that have the power over my life, and have the control, and the pieces are all together, not together, and I, I don't seemingly, I'm not in control, and that spurs me not to be in, dep- in depression. It doesn't make me change my values. It doesn't make me change my God. It doesn't make me get angry. It doesn't even cause me to be apathetic and not care when I look at the fact that so much of my life is out of my control. For that reason, I'm committing myself to you. So you can have the dominion and you can have the glory and you can have the increase and you can have the service. The reason that we should commit to God is because our lives are out of control. The reason that we should commit to God is because He's always right and we're wrong. And the reason that we should commit to God Right there in the text. Because he's so great. Listen. Are you committed to God? What is it going to take in your life for you to give him the dominion? Are you going to have to be in that situation? You know what? It's easy to turn over the keys to God when you ain't got no place to put the keys anymore. But as long as you're still trying to control things of your life and it's a mess and you're struggling to I'm holding on to this. Why don't you just give up? You take control. My body, my mind, my money, my life, my family, my values, my future. You take it. 